Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. In August of 2020, the Centers for Disease Control released the results of a survey they had conducted earlier in the summer that has made news headlines ever since. The goal of their survey was to measure the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and how it was affecting uh, America's mental health. During the week of June 24 to 30 of 2020, American adults reported significant increases in adverse mental health conditions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The results from the survey were compared to a poll that was done a year prior so they could get a sense of this time of year, how, how were Americans doing uh, in 2020 during the pandemic versus the previous year in 2019. The highlights of the survey were as follows. 31% were suffering from symptoms of serious anxiety or depression. 26% were struggling with symptoms of trauma or stress from the pandemic. 13% reported starting or increasing substance abuse. 11% stated they had seriously considered suicide in the previous 30 days. Overall, the CDC reported that 40.9% of over 5,400 respondents reported struggling with at least one mental health issue or substance abuse. Now, I realize it's no surprise to any of us to hear that job losses, financial struggles, loved ones dying from COVID-19, stay-at-home orders, social distancing, and anxiety about the future are taking a serious toll on people's mental, emotional, and spiritual health. It's also safe to assume that what is affecting the general public will also affect the Lord's church. Although the Lord's church is not immune to such struggles, we have something the rest of our nation does not. And that is a relationship with a God who loves us, who cares for us, and can redeem any struggle in our lives for good. We also have God's word, which contains timeless wisdom and encouragement and testimonies from believers who have walked with the Lord through dark times and lived to tell about it and lived to write about it and saw the Lord use it for good. After finishing my series in the book of Ephesians last week, I originally had planned on starting a different series today that would have been 10 to 12 weeks long. However, I think the Lord has been showing me and various ways that I needed to do something else instead. And that is to do a brief mini-series that I actually had already been praying about, how to do, what to do. And I'm calling this mini-series Wisdom from COVID-19, Lessons We Can Learn from a Global Pandemic. Now, if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, brother, I just need a break from COVID-19. I'm tired of hearing about it. It's all over the news and social media, and you know, I just now I got to come to church and hear about it. Well, I understand what you're saying. I'm ready for a break from it too. However, I want to remind you of some things that I, I tried to convey in the early home Bible study videos that I did uh, last spring. And that is, we must not miss what the Lord is trying to tell us through this pandemic. God is sovereign and he either allows or causes all things to happen in our lives. And this pandemic is no mistake, it's no accident, and it has not caught the Lord off guard. At a minimum, he's allowed it. And it's also highly probable he caused it and he has purposes he wants to accomplish through it. And so uh, my heart's desire is to spend the next couple of weeks 
looking at what can we learn from the COVID-19 pandemic so that, as I said many times last year, last spring, summer, and fall in the home Bible study videos, don't waste your pandemic. Don't waste your lockdown. Don't waste the time that you have at home. Come out of this loving the Lord more deeply, knowing him more intimately, and being able to point to 2020 as a time when you say, man, that was hard, but I grew in my walk with the Lord like I've never grown before. And so I'd like to invite you to open your copy of God's Word, if you haven't done so already, to 1 Kings chapter 18, and to pull out the sermon notes you received when you came in this morning. And if you forgot to grab a sermon note handout or you need to borrow a Bible, you can get up and grab one off of the welcome table. And now would be a good time to do that. Now, for a few believers, uh, much to my surprise, are, uh, are aware that there are a handful of men in the Bible who struggled with anxiety, disappointment, and depression because of the difficulties they were facing in their season of life. And today I'd like to introduce you to one such man uh, and share what we can learn from him and his experience with depression. The big idea I hope that you take home with you today is this. Disappointment with God is an appointment to know him better. Disappointment with God is an appointment to know him better. One of the many lessons we can learn from the COVID-19 pandemic is that no one, no one is immune to depression or deep discouragement. Many cases of depression, not all, but many, are caused by deep disappointment with God. For example, it could be that God hasn't done what you asked him to do or expected him to do. Or it could be that he hasn't allowed you to do what you wanted to do or expected to do. And if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then I just want to encourage you that your dark night of the soul, whether it happened in the past, whether it's happening now, or it happens in the future, it's an invitation to know the Lord more intimately. And if you don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then your struggle with depression is an invitation to know him personally. And he wants that. Now, some of you might be wondering, why do I need a sermon on this topic? I am not depressed or discouraged, and I really have a hard time listening to people who are. And, and in fact, I'm feeling, I'm more depressed now having come to church this morning than I was before, you know, before I, uh, you know, set my clock ahead an hour. And, and I was having more fun setting my clock ahead an hour than I am right now. So here's my straight up answer, and that is, because you may have been struggling with depression this past year and not known it. Or because you may know someone who is and they don't know it. Either way, as Christ followers, we need to know how to respond biblically. And so... In 1 Kings 18, we're introduced to the prophet Elijah. He was dispatched by God to confront the people of Israel and the wicked king Ahab during yet another season of disobedience where God's people had wandered away from him and turned to false pagan idols, false gods. Elijah was bold. He was fearless most of the time. And unflinchingly loyal to the Lord. His ministry was peppered with multiple miracles and ended just the way it began. It, it started with a miracle in chapter 17, and then it ended with a miracle in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah is one of only a handful of people, less than five as far as I can count, who skipped death and went straight to heaven. 
In 2 Kings chapter 2, we're told the Lord sent a chariot of fire to bring his prophet home. I'm just remembering right now, Rich Mullins, the contemporary Christian artist in the 90s, wrote a song on one of his albums. And I just, I'm remembering the chorus right now. So when, I, when I go, I want to go out like Elijah on a chariot of fire. I think that, that would be cool. Elijah was the only prophet as well who appeared with Moses and spoke with Jesus at the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. And despite having an amazing ministry, this man of God also struggled with discouragement and depression. And so let's take a look at his story. There are two main points I want to share with you today. The first on your outline is this. God's character is dependable, but his ways are unpredictable. God's character is dependable, but his ways are unpredictable. And this is important for us to grasp, and Elijah's going to wrestle with this, because if we, if we constantly are looking and relying on God to act a certain way, you'll soon see here, it sets us up for disappointment and can lead to depression. And so let me give you a summary for the sake of time. We don't have time to read the entire chapter of 1 Kings 18. And we're going to go into part of 19 as well. Here's just a little summary to give you some context. In 1 Kings 18, we have in this passage one of the most exciting and spectacular stories in the entire Old Testament, possibly the entire Bible. In this portion of 1 Kings, we learn that the evil king Ahab is joined on the throne with his even more triply, doubly, multi-wicked Queen Jezebel. Jezebel is not a name you want to give to any of your daughters. Now Ahab and Jezebel worshipped two false pagan gods instead of the Lord. They were called uh, Asherah and Baal. B-A-A-L. They believed Asherah was a fertility goddess and mother of Baal. Baal was believed to be the god of weather and fertility. Solomon's polygamy and the wicked kings that followed him allowed these pagan idols to enter into the kingdom of Israel. So Elijah shows up in chapter 18 to confront King Ahab and to call him to repentance and challenges his false prophets to a duel. The prophet wanted to prove to Ahab and Jezebel that their gods were fake, that they had no power. And so Elijah challenges them to sort of, a, uh, I'll see you after school in the back alley sort of thing. So Ahab sends his 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah to meet Elijah on Mount Carmel. And Elijah instructs them to prepare two animal sacrifices, one for him and one for them. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 24 to 26. Please follow along with me as I read. So Elijah instructs them, And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is the real God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Meaning, that sounds fair. Okay. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And so... They took the bowl that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. All right, let me stop there. This goes on for most of the day. And it even gets more humorous when about noontime, Elijah starts taunting the pagan prophets as they prayed and danced around all day long asking their God to show up. And just to make things more interesting, Elijah asked the prophets of Baal to pour water on his sacrifice to, 
to uh, lessen his odds, to make things more difficult for him and easier for them. You know how difficult it is to light wet wood? Well, keep in mind, at this point, Elijah hasn't even prayed yet. He's, he's egging them on for hours. Go ahead, just keep on praying, keep on praying. Go ahead, put some water on mine if you want. Pour, just drench it. Go get the hose, drench it, totally drench mine. You guys can have dry wood. And so this continues, but watch out. Let's look at verse 36. He says, excuse me, at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Well, then the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Yeah, He's God. I like that part. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, and let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So Elijah and the Lord win the showdown with the prophets of Baal. However, things turn against Elijah when the word gets back to Queen Jezebel that this happened. Now let's pick up in uh, chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Anybody notice that it was a prophet, a man of God, who preaches the word that's killing people with a sword here? I always wondered that would be like to be able to do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Translation, I'm coming after you, and you're going to die. You're done. I'm putting a bounty on your head, Elijah. Now, verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. In verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Disappointment with God is an appointment to know him better. And Elijah gets that opportunity in the coming paragraphs. Now, there are many insights we could glean from this story but here's just two that I think are really worth mentioning. So this is letter A on your outline. Sometimes God does the spectacular. We need to acknowledge that. Sometimes God does the spectacular. Sometimes when we pray, the Lord comes through with a big answer to that prayer. It could be a surprise promotion, a much-needed financial blessing out of the blue. Uh, a long overdue breakthrough in a difficult relationship, or a stubborn loved one suddenly trusting Christ that you've been praying for for years. However, we will all set ourselves up for disappointment if we expect shock and awe from God all the time. And what leaps off the pages of the scriptures uh, are these, are these miracle moments like this? They stand out in our minds like ESPN highlights. Uh, however, what we often miss, and I think it's because our, our, our faithless hearts want this, what we miss is the 10-minute, the 15-play, 90-yard drive, ground and pound, 
uh, offense that it took to get to the end zone. We, we're just seeing the highlights on ESPN. We're not seeing everything it took to get to the miracle. Therefore, what we sometimes convince ourselves of, and I think our faithless hearts come to expect, is the spectacular all the time. And then when God doesn't do the spectacular, he doesn't come through, we're disappointed in him. Perhaps it's because we think that having the spectacular would boost our faith into the stratosphere. But thankfully, the Lord knows it won't. It just won't. So here's letter B. Oftentimes, more times than not, God does the subtle. He does the subtle. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is alone. He's exhausted. He's ready to die. He's just come off this euphoric ministry victory. And so, God says to him, if you would, look at your Bibles with me. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 11 to 13. And so the Lord says to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, sadly, these three verses have been used by some churches and denominations to build a doctrine that says God normally speaks to us in a whisper. But that's not what these verses are actually saying. Uh, we know, uh, for example, that the Lord reliably speaks to us through his word. But instead, what these verses are revealing is that we should not expect God to work in the same way every time. They, they reveal that what Elijah may have expected every time was shock, awe, fireworks, and special effects. I mean, notice the Lord showed him uh, a great wind, an earthquake, a fire. So spectacular, 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 and then subtle. It says, Here, here's, here's where I am. I'm in the subtle. There are actually many more examples in the scriptures of the Lord using the mundane, the subtle, the simple, the quiet. Take, for example, baby Moses being plucked out of the Nile by Pharaoh's daughter. The entire book of Esther, where the Lord's name is not even mentioned. And yet, clearly, he can be seen working behind the curtain. Moving pieces like a master chess player. And then, of course, the Christmas story. The Messiah being born in a manger in the middle of the night. The King of Israel, the long-awaited Messiah. The fulfillment of so many prophecies. No pomp and circumstance. No riding out of the clouds on a chariot of fire. No, he's born in a stable, in a manger, in the middle of the night. Or Israel didn't even know he had come. Subtle. Whenever our expectations exceed what God decides to do, the gap between our expectations and what God does is called disappointment. And that's part of what Elijah is struggling with here. He may have been struggling with Lord, how come you, you did the miracle of you, you called fire down and you, and you, you totally blew away the, the animal offering and all the stones and the, and, the, and the dust and everything in the trench, all the water. How come you can't take care of Jezebel too? Is she too difficult? So here's number two in your outline. 
Even God's all-star servants suffered from depression. Even God's all-star servants suffered from depression. Elijah is not the only person in the Bible to suffer from depression, as I alluded to earlier. There is sufficient evidence in the scriptures that David, other multiple psalmists, there are several psalms that are written crying out to God in a deep, dark depression. Jonah, Job, the prophet Jeremiah, Paul, and Jesus himself all had bouts of it. Jesus, in fact, one of the many names that he has that was given to him by the prophet Isaiah was a man of sorrows. Since then, many, many saints uh, throughout church history have battled melancholy. Ministers such as St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Bunyan, and the great Charles Spurgeon all wrote about their battles with this stubborn darkness. Spurgeon, the senior pastor of the first megachurch ever, the London Tabernacle in the 19th century, called by many the Prince of Preachers, one of the greatest preachers to ever live. <laughs> he, he once wrote this, I could weep by the hour like a child and yet knew not what I wept for. He called depression a dark dungeon, a long winter that left him haunted with dread. Now this should humble us because if these giants of the faith were taken to the mat by depression, then we shouldn't be shocked if it takes us down as well. And on the other hand, we should be encouraged because these giants of the faith, that's how we see them, they were human. They were just mere men, mortals like us. And we should be encouraged because they were able to find a way through the darkness, walking with the Lord. And so can we. Now, there are three common causes of depression, possibly could call these types. So here's A1, A2, and A3 on your outline. The first is what I call circumstantial. A common cause of depression is just difficult circumstances. Sometimes we will feel deeply discouraged or depressed by stress-inducing circumstances, such as health problems, the death of loved ones, a divorce, conflict at work, losing a job, or working long hours. In cases like this, it's best to use the wisdom of the scriptures to request prayer from fellow believers and to lean into the Lord for strength to get through that season. Normally, typically, I should say generally, seasons with difficult circumstances don't last forever. They don't last that long. They're a season. And one thing we can always be certain of is that the Lord sovereignly allows or causes those seasons for our good and his glory. And he promises, as we learned a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 8, to always use such difficult circumstances to make us more like Christ, to work all things together for good. Next, a second common cause of depression is the physiological the physiological. The Lord has given us both body and soul. We are made up of the material and the immaterial. And both are intricately connected. And so what happens to our bodies affects our souls, and what affects our souls affects our bodies. The scriptures are clear on that, especially in the Psalms. We see the psalmist mention of being uh, deeply saddened or grieved in the soul and then talking about how it affects their body as well and vice versa. Sometimes depression can be caused by a physiological, physiological problem with our body. Symptoms of depression can be caused by vitamin deficiencies. There are tons of studies out there about deficiencies in vitamin B12 and vitamin D. Those two in particular can cause feelings of depression. Hormonal imbalances 
some women experience that after uh, giving birth to uh, a child. Uh, postpartum depression is what it's called. I'm sure you're familiar with that because of the fluctuation of hormones. Some women experience it at menopause. Again, changing the hormones. Some men experience symptoms of depression because their testosterone levels drop as they age. Adrenal fatigue, chronic illness, side effects from medications, bacterial infections in the gut, lack of quality sleep, poor diet, or lack of exercise are all things that can cause feelings of symptoms of depression. Temperament can also be an influencer. For example, if if you have an analytical mind, you're a deep thinker, you're introverted, and you feel energized and get your batteries charged by being alone, then you probably have a melancholy temperament. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, they're made in the image of God. And that God uses melancholies to, to write good books and to uh, invent things through science and to build things as engineers. And um, melancholies do great things, but... Just like every temperament, they also struggle with some things. They tend to have a glass half-empty view of the world. They're more likely to struggle with depression. They will also struggle with it if they don't have enough time alone to recharge their batteries. Melancholies can get so drained being around people, they need some time away from people to recharge. Now, on the other hand, if you are more spontaneous extroverted, and you feel energized being around people, you probably have more sanguine temperament. Sanguines will struggle with depression if they're not allowed to be around people to charge their batteries, if they don't have enough people connection. And so during the COVID-19 lockdowns, melancholies will struggle because uh, their structure and their routine has been disrupted, and they love the comfort of that, whereas sanguines will struggle because their connection with people has been lost, or at least uh, distance. And so these are things just to keep in mind about how God's made us, and things to keep in mind about our bodies that can affect or cause symptoms of depression. Number three is the spiritual. So we've got the circumstantial, we've got the physiological, and then the spiritual. There are sometimes spiritual causes behind depression, such as spiritual warfare. It could be the adversary uh, unleashing an attack on you and causing you to doubt God's goodness and question your purpose in life. Sometimes unrepentant sin. There's evidence of that in the Psalms where David, uh, in one particular Psalm, he's talking about uh, feelings of depression and feeling like God's abandoned him. And uh, he's also describing a season where he had unrepentant sin in his life. And it was starting to take a toll on his health as well. Uh, bad theology is something else that can cause symptoms of depression. Where uh, some people have beliefs about God hardwired into their brain that are not true or don't line up with the scriptures. And so the opportunity that a season of depression can bring is to correct that theology and get it in line with the scriptures and who God really is and how he works. And in any of these spiritual cases, the antidote is to use the scriptures, to learn how to use them, as I talked about the last couple of weeks about spiritual warfare and the sword of the spirit from Ephesians 6. The antidote is to learn how to use the scriptures to target the bad theology or the sin struggle or the attacks that the adversary is waging on us to counteract those things that are making us feel despair. Of course, depression can also be brought on by any combination of these three. So if you're going through a season like that, it could be a combination of physiological and spiritual. Or it could be circumstantial and spiritual. But here's... Here's something I want to make clear, and that is struggling with depression is nothing to be ashamed of. It simply reveals to us what God already knows about us, and that is 
We are human. We are weak. And as it says in Psalm 103, we are made from dust. We're frail. Now, let's look back at the text and let's see how the Lord helped Elijah with his season of despair. I'm going to read from 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10. And so, he came to a cave and lodged in it, that is, Elijah, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars, and they kill your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, in verses 13 and 14, the Lord repeats the same question, and Elijah gives the same response. Now, keep in mind, disappointment with God is an appointment to know him better. Now, let's look at how the Lord healed or ministered to Elijah's depression. I want to share with you uh, one, two, three, four things that the Lord does for Elijah. Uh, if you would look at verse 5 with me, First uh, Kings 19, verse 5. And so, after Elijah goes into the wilderness, and he said, Enough, I've had it, I can't take any more, just take my life, I'm ready to die, I'm no better than my father's. Well, in verse 5, As he lay down under the broom tree and slept, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Uh, here's the first thing. Uh, this, is B, this is B1 on your outline uh, that the Lord did. He made Elijah rest. He made Elijah rest. Did you know about two-thirds of Americans are not getting enough sleep each night and report consistently getting less than seven hours? Uh, plenty of other studies have linked the amount of sleep we get to our mood and I know some of you who are parents or grandparents know, I don't need a study to prove that. I had a toddler. And uh, toddlers definitely prove that sleep and mood are connected. So, but multiple studies also cite that most adults need at least eight hours of sleep. Not eight hours in bed, but eight hours of sleep. Because we don't sleep the whole time we're in bed. And we need that in order to function our best. And so the Lord knows that about his prophet. He realizes that Elijah's tired. He just came off a very intense season of ministry. So he made Elijah rest. Next, let's look at uh, verses 6 to 8. And so he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And so he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So here's number two, or letter B2. The Lord made Elijah eat. <laughs> he made him eat. Uh, there's been plenty of research in the last couple of decades that has come out showing a strong connection between diet and mood as well. And if we want to have the energy and a clear head that God desires for us, then we need to cut refined carbohydrates and artificially source foods and replace them with fruits and vegetables and healthy grains and proteins. And I know I sound like your mom, I sound like your grandma, or I sound like the middle school that you went to with all the posters of the different food groups and stuff. But let me just say, I'm, I was a stubborn adult uh, until health problems hit me in my 40s. And I didn't listen to my wife, nor my school, nor my mom, or my grandma. And I learned the hard way, I have to eat better. And so I've had to cut those things, the refined carbohydrates and the artificially sourced foods out of my diet, and I'm better for it. And I look better too, don't you think? Anyway, um, here's, uh, here's the next thing the Lord does. And it's, in, it's in verses 15 to 16. Uh, so skip ahead to the next page. This is where Elijah's uh, in the cave. 
Uh, it's that the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mehalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So here's B3 on your outline. The Lord told Elijah to get up and serve others. He told Elijah to get up and serve others. Notice in the first two points under this letter, the Lord is sensitive. He's, he's aware of, of Elijah's fragility. He, he allows him to rest and tells him to eat. And, but there comes a turning point where the Lord says, and I, I've seen this, he does this with a couple other prophets as well, where the Lord says, okay, it's time to get up now. All done. Time to, time to be done with your temper tantrum and to get up and start serving me again. There are many people whom I've counseled over the years who have struggled with feelings of depression uh, who unknowingly and unintentionally, I think, have become self-centered. Because when you enter a season like that, it's very, very, very difficult to look outside your world. It's very difficult when the fog of depression rolls in to see anything else going on in your life or to see any other needs. However, one of the healthiest things we can do when we're discouraged like that is to serve others. It sounds counterintuitive to serve others when we want them to serve us. It sounds counterintuitive because we don't feel like doing it. But we don't feel like going to the gym either. And we often don't feel like going to work. But we do things we have to do even though we don't feel like doing them because we know they're good for us and we know they're important for us. Serving others teaches us to get our eyes off of our own struggles so we can see that the Lord is still working in the world and we can be encouraged that he's still working in other people's lives and then that helps us to conclude if he's working in their life, he'll work in mine as well. I find it interesting that God allows the prophet to struggle for a little bit, but then gives him a new assignment. Notice then in verse 18, if you would, here's the last way the Lord ministers to him. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Translation, Elijah, there are still 7,000 of my people in the kingdom that you don't know of who still love me and serve me. Notice up a couple verses earlier, in, it, was in verse, um, it was in verse 10, where the Lord, Elijah says, I've been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Meaning, they've all forsaken you. But notice in verse 18, no, there's still 7,000 left. Now, this is very important, and here's B4 on your outline. He reminded Elijah he was not alone and needed people. He reminded Elijah that he was not alone and needed people. Now, this is important because one of Satan's tactics is to try to tell us when we're struggling with discouragement or despair or depression, is that we're all alone, that nobody will understand, that our struggle is unique and nobody else is going through what we're going through. And that nobody else will understand. But for some reason, in verse 3, Elijah leaves his servant in Beersheba. You see that in your Bible. Then in verse 4, he goes deep into the wilderness to be alone. He further isolates himself in verse 9 by hiding out in a cave. But again, in verse 18, the Lord reminds his prophet, there's still 7,000 Israelites who have not sold their souls to worship Asherah and Baal. There's more than you think, Elijah. And when we are depressed, our instincts tell us we're better off if everybody in the world just leaves us alone. 
However, that's usually the opposite of what we need. And although it feels counterintuitive, what we need to do in dark days is to get around some other believers that can help charge our batteries. Or I think of a, uh, when, I, when, I, when I grill or when my sons grill um, at home, uh, the charcoal, it, it gets hotter and, it, and it's, the coals stay hotter when they're put together. But it, every now and then there's this little rogue coal that ends up on the side by himself and he doesn't stay hot long because he's out there on his own, away from the fellowship of the coals. You'll never think about grilling the same way again now. Come here, little buddy. Come on. It's time to go to church. Come on, get into the, get into the group. But during a pandemic lockdown, this can, this can be accomplished by making a phone call or connecting with others on Zoom or Skype. And I can't stress how important it is for you to be part of a, a V group for your spiritual health. And to regularly participate in it, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't get your homework done, to still go, to still show up. And I'm willing to bet you, if I were a betting man, but I'm not, I'm willing to bet you that if you go to your V group and you participate in one, even when you don't feel like it, you won't regret it after you're done. Kind of like you don't regret going to the gym after you've gone, but before you're like, oh man, it's the last thing I want to do. But then you go to the gym, you're like, man, I'm glad I did. So here's what the good news of the gospel can help us, or how it can help, excuse me, in our seasons of darkness. I want to connect everything back to the gospel. We can be encouraged by the fact that Jesus himself had his own dark night of the soul when he was on the cross and he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ's death, burial, and resurrection also made it possible for those who follow him to have access to God in prayer when we feel depressed. We can cry out to him just as the psalmist did and say, Lord, help me. Where are you? What are you doing? Here's how I feel. The psalmists are brutally honest with the Lord, and I so appreciate their candor. And finally, the gospel allows Christ followers to look forward to the day when we will be with Jesus and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That is where our hope is, to be with the Lord someday. Our hope is not here on this earth. And so time and time again in the New Testament, when, when believers were discouraged or struggling and the apostles wrote them, what we see Paul and Peter and James and John do is remind the believers who were suffering for the gospel, hey, your hope is in eternity with Jesus. You're here for a short time. You'll be with Jesus forever. And when you're with Jesus forever, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning, no more loneliness, no more depression. So, let's tie it back to COVID-19 as well. How should we be considerate to those who are struggling with depression, loneliness, and discouragement during the COVID-19 pandemic? Should we just disregard what the science says about the contagiousness of the virus and and the, the risk that it puts on those who have weakened immune systems? No, because that's important too. We need to use wisdom and thoughtfulness to consider the needs of both groups. Those who are struggling with loneliness and depression and feeling disconnected because of the pandemic. And we need to also be sensitive and considerate to those who have weakened immune systems or are more vulnerable to catching COVID and it really being dangerous for them. Now, I'll have more to say about this in the next couple of weeks, but in the meantime, uh, here's a couple of applications that come to mind for 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. Uh, application number one, if you don't struggle with depression, then seek to understand those who do. Seek to understand those who do. One of the many things our sin nature causes us to do is this. We will minimize, excuse me, we will minimize 
or dismiss someone else's suffering if we haven't experienced it ourselves firsthand. We will minimize or dismiss someone else's suffering if we haven't experienced it ourselves firsthand. However, if we have been humbled by experiencing a particular type of suffering, we will empathize with those who have a shared experience with us. But God's word calls us to empathize with more than just the people we've selected who have suffered in the same way we have. Instead, we're called, as it says in Romans 12, 15, and I've given you these references on the keynote screen behind me. Romans 12, 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And in Romans 15, 1, he says, The strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. And in Galatians 6, 2, he tells the Galatians that they should bear one another's burdens. So we need to keep in mind that this will look different from person to person based on temperament and spiritual gifting. But if you struggle to show empathy like I do, I'll admit I struggle with that. I'd encourage you to regularly ask the Lord to help you to soften your heart. And I can testify that after years of praying for this, the Lord has been softening mine. And he's not done yet. Application number two. If you struggle with depression, search for the root cause before taking a pill. If you struggle with depression, search for the root cause before taking a pill. Now, let me just say, if you are currently in the dungeon of depression, I, I'm so sorry that you are hurting. And I hurt for you. And if you are on antidepressants right now, my goal here is not to shame you or to make you feel guilty. I'm not against antidepressants, nor do I think the scriptures forbid using them. In fact, I think they can be helpful on a short-term basis in conjunction with biblical counseling. However, antidepressants have many side effects, and there's not enough data yet to determine the effects that they have on people over the course of a lifetime. We're still learning what antidepressants do to people over the long haul. And so I would urge you to make taking them the last resort instead of your first option. And one of the reasons we hear about antidepressants so much more these days and why so many more people are on them is the fact that the Federal Drug Administration issued a landmark ruling in 1999 legalizing it, legalizing drug companies to begin marketing prescription drugs directly to consumers. Before 1999, they could only market to doctors. Now, on the one hand, it has equipped patients with more information before they see their doctor, and we get to see these wonderful commercials that list all the side effects of, you know, um, it, we fast forward through or turn the channel on. But it has equipped patients with more information that they can use to go see their doctor. On the other hand, it's been a windfall for the drug companies because now patients are going to their doctors asking for specific drugs. I think the wise course of action for a believer who thinks they might be struggling with depression would be to A, evaluate your circumstances. First, are they temporary? Could, could you persevere through them with the Lord's help? B, address the spiritual issues. Memorize scripture, pray, seek godly counsel. Are there heart issues that need to be addressed? Bad theology. And if those two don't work, see, look at the physiological. Get a complete physical from your doctor. Uh, this should include a full blood panel that checks your vitamin levels, minerals, and hormones. And if none of these work, then I think it would be okay to try an antidepressant, along with making lifestyle changes and getting some biblical counseling. In the meantime, if you or someone you know is struggling with depression, I would strongly recommend the following two books. I'll have them on the screen here. 
the first one by Robert Somerville. He's a biblical counselor down at the Master's Seminary. It's called If I'm a Christian, Why Am I Depressed? Um, it's a great book. He's a biblical counselor. Somerville is a biblical counselor, and the Lord took him through a season of depression and humbled him. And so he wrote a book about it. It talks about how humiliating it is as a counselor to become the patient or the counselee. Uh, the other book is by uh, Ed Welch, also a reputable biblical counselor. Called, it's called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. Those are two great books I would recommend. Well, many 21st century Christ followers have never heard of William Cooper before. But many have sung at least one of his hymns. In addition to being an accomplished poet, Cooper wrote at least 68 classic church hymns, including God Moves in, Mysterious, in a Mysterious Way, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God, There is a Fountain, and he co-wrote the well-known song Amazing Grace. What many people don't know about William Cooper, this gifted songwriter, is that he spent most of his life battling crippling anxiety and depression. In fact, his despondency was so bad that he tried to commit suicide three times in one day. And it was the day that he was scheduled to have an interview for a lucrative job promotion. However, the Lord providentially intervened and prevented him from succeeding. Not long after this, Cooper was committed to the St. Albans Insane Asylum in England, and he was placed under the care of Dr. Nathaniel Cotton. Once again, the Lord was working behind the scenes in Cooper's life because Dr. Cotton was a born-again Christian who ended up playing a role in bringing Cooper to faith in Jesus Christ. After being released from the asylum, Cooper, again, God providentially working here, he stayed with a friend's family so that he would not be alone, given his history with suicide and anxiety and depression. And he was introduced to that family's pastor, none other than John Newton. The two became best friends. And for the next 30 years, John Newton consistently encouraged William Cooper with God's promises from the scriptures and mentored him in the faith. And the Lord redeemed Cooper's battle with depression for good by enabling him to write powerful worship hymns that ministered to thousands of believers in the decades following his death. One such hymn is called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Now, I'm going to show you the lyrics to this. It started as a poem and then usually... Uh, songwriters in, in this day, uh, this would be in the 1700s, they typically wrote poems and then would collaborate with a composer. So this started as a poem. And I, I want you to see in these lyrics the saturation of God's sovereignty and goodness and the confidence that Cooper had when he wrote this, that, that he didn't used to have. He writes... God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour, and the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower." The way the Lord is working in your life right now is mysterious. It may be mysterious, but he is moving for your good 
and for his glory. The key line in that hymn is behind, excuse me, behind a frowning providence. Providence is another word for sovereignty, or it just refers to God's control over history. And what he's saying is that there are times where it will seem as though God is frowning upon you with what's happening in your life. But behind that frown is a smiling face, a God who's pleased with you, pleased that you're persevering, that you're pressing in and walking more closely with him, that you're growing in your faith because of what you're suffering from. And so when dark days come, remember that disappointment with God is an appointment to know him better. Would you join me as we close in prayer? We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.